We're going to continue this week and next week this dealing with wisdom, the series on living wisely, wise and otherwise. Next week, I want to talk about Jesus, who was more than a sage. He is the very incarnation of wisdom. We'll talk about that. But today, I want to talk about wealth. As Christians, I think most of us have ambivalent feelings about wealth, about money. On the one hand, we're conscious of the dangers of greed, particularly in a society like ours, that elevates material possessions to a godlike status. We're aware of the dangers, and we're aware of how wrong it is to just hoard up wealth. And so we see the dark side of money. But then on the other side, we want some of it. Am I right? I mean, we want it and we need it and we are grateful to God for it. So we feel this ambivalence. It might make you feel better to know that the Bible shows the same kind of ambivalence towards money because it does warn us about the dangers of money and how it can do great harm, but it also tells us that God blesses his people. And among other things, he blesses his people with material well-being. And so there's this two-sidedness to money that is always present. And what's true of the Bible in general is true in the book of Proverbs also. I have to say that because when you read through Proverbs, you'll see a lot of advice on how to gain wealth. And sometimes it seems like... You know, it just seems like some kind of pragmatic program to get rich. But if you read all of Proverbs and you read carefully, you see that it's not just Tony Robbins on steroids here. Proverbs 30, listen to what the sage says. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. In other words, right here in these wisdom sayings about wealth, we're reminded that wealth can be a great danger to us. But then again, so can poverty. And so here the wise man is praying, God, give me some middle ground. I don't want to be tempted to turn away from you because of the pride of wealth, but neither do I want to face the kind of grinding poverty that tempts me to do what is wrong. When I read something like this, I think of Solomon who beat one one thing he prayed for was wisdom, and because he prayed for wisdom and not for wealth, God said, I'm going to give you wealth. But then if you actually see Solomon's life, what happens? Well, that wealth helped turn his head, and, and he didn't turn out well in many ways because of it. And so, so wealth is a blessing from God, but it is dangerous and can become a curse depending on us and our attitude to it. I was so reminded of this some years ago. I'm sitting in my office talking to a man. I'll call him Stephen. And Stephen said, I just had the worst weekend of my life. 
What happened? He said, I spent the weekend on my new $200,000 boat. Now, that didn't sound like a bad weekend to me. But he said, I bought a $200,000 boat for me and my family. And my wife wasn't there because I got served with divorce papers this last week. And my kids weren't there because they don't even talk to me anymore said, I set it as my goal in my law practice that I wanted to earn $1 million in a calendar year. And I pulled out the stops and I did everything I needed to do. This was a man who didn't come from wealth. In fact, he came from a very modest background. This was important to him. This was a marker of success. He wanted to earn a $1 million in a year. And he said, this last year, I did it. So one of the things he did to celebrate, go buy yourself a $200,000 boat. He said, in the process, I've alienated everybody who matters to me, and I am alone, and I don't know what my future holds. See, wealth can be a curse, not just a blessing. And, and we can seek it with such, such energy and such earnestness that it becomes a false god and it does us great harm. This verse doesn't come from Proverbs, but it comes from Ecclesiastes, which also is a collection of wisdom sayings. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And if ever a verse described Stephen's story, the story that he told me, that's the verse because he never had enough. And some of us are that way. Stephen was a Christian, but he got caught up. He got caught up with wealth or the pursuit of wealth. And some of us do the same thing. We just get so caught up trying to maximize our income that our families pay the price. Sometimes, let's face it, we ourselves in our own health pay the price. There are 30-year-olds all over the nation and 30-year-olds in our own community whose health is already breaking down because they are pushing it, pushing it, pushing it because they want to be successful and they want to be rich. Proverbs 10, we don't have a slide for this. Let me read it. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. You know what that means? That means if you have to push yourself to the limit, if you have to carry stress that is breaking down your body, that's shattering your mental health, that's putting you right on the emotional edge, if you have to extend yourself again and again until your marriage is falling apart and your children hate you, that wealth is not from God. That's not the blessing of God. God's blessing doesn't bring that kind of life, and it's so important for us to understand it. So important for us to seek a kind of golden mean. We don't want to be poor. Poverty is no blessing, but neither do we want wealth to become our main focus and, and what it is we're seeking. In fact, if you read through the book of Proverbs, there's a lot about money and about wealth, but what's so interesting is 
It doesn't put the focus there, at least in this sense. We are nowhere encouraged to seek wealth. Instead, we are told to work our field. Let me read to you a verse in that regard. Proverbs 28, 19, listen to this. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. There, we don't want poverty. We don't want poverty. We want abundance. Well, those who work their land will have abundance. Now, that's an image. That's a picture. You work your fields. Well, what is your field? Well, we all have our own fields. It may be a career that we've chosen, um, but whatever we've chosen, there, is, uh, there are certain uh, boundaries to it. In other words, we're not just free to choose anything we might imagine ourselves pursuing. There are certain options that we have. Some things are realistic. Some things aren't realistic. But we find that, we find that things fall a certain way in our life, and, and there we are. We have obligations. We have responsibility. We have jobs right? And so those who work their field, who, who plow the ground, who do the work, who focus on that, they will prosper. But those who want to find some perfect job somewhere or who want to get rich more quickly who think they can grasp at something. What I have, this is, this is boring. I don't want this. I want something better. Those people who are chasing fantasies, they will be poor. They will be poor. There are way too many 30-year-olds with, with business cards that say they're presidents and CEOs of some non-existent company who live at home off their parents' dime. Way too many, way too many people, way too many people looking for some great opportunity somewhere else. They have some wonderful dream of what they want to do, but they never buckle down to work at what's right in front of them. That is so essential. The, the book of Proverbs emphasizes again and again that we're not to pursue some ideal world. We are to take our responsibilities seriously and we're to invest ourselves in those. And as we do it, as we do it, we will find the provision of God and the blessing of God. But that's hard for a lot of people to accept. Cal Newport uh, is a science professor at Georgetown University. He's written a number of books on a more popular level, especially how digital technology influences our, our, our culture. One of his earlier books is the one that you see up there, So Good They Can't Ignore You. It was a book he wrote not long after he finished graduate school, and it aroused some controversy. In that book, he takes on what his research told him was a myth. The myth is this, that everyone should pursue their passion. He says that advice, which is almost universal, is wrong. It's wrong. Now, we have to make allowances for people using words in different ways. I'm not saying in every context someone who says you should pursue your passion is making a false statement. But here's what Newport was trying to get to. 
that, that today we say, you know, you need, to, you need to consult your heart and pursue your passion. You don't want to be stuck in some boring job, some boring profession. You need to do what's in your heart. You need to do that. Well, you certainly do need to consult what your gifts are and what God might be calling you to, and you need to do it. But here's what you quickly discovered, Newport says. Once you start on that route, you find that even that job that was your passion has a lot of boring elements to it. You know, it's a lot of work. It takes self-discipline. It's not easy. It's not a panacea. That green grass, once you get there, has a lot of, lot of patches there, a lot of grassless areas. And so what Newport says is this that once we start thinking only about our passions, we're thinking about how everything needs to satisfy us. And so we try one thing, and it doesn't really fulfill us, so we look for something else. It doesn't really fulfill us, and look for something else. It doesn't really fulfill us. For too long, mid-30s, mid-40s, past 50, and struggling. People struggle, and it's, it's this unwillingness to work, what's right in front of you, the boring stuff that's part of living in this world. Nothing exciting about plowing a field, but all work leads to profit, it says elsewhere in Proverbs. Mere talk doesn't. We have to work our field, is what he's saying. The book, um, So Good They Can't Ignore You, is actually about, among other things, about how people come to love the work they do and the way they come to look, love it is by the way they work it. As, as he puts it, if I can read his quote, working right trumps finding the right work. And so that's, that's I know some of you are retired and you're thinking, boy, this doesn't apply to me. Or you might think, I wish I'd thought of that a long time ago. 401k is a little low. But you know, you know what I'm talking about, and you know how true it is in so many areas. It's important for us to understand that God has connected prosperity with working. And if we work and we work diligently, then we receive we receive God's provision. If we just chase fantasies, then we don't. Now, depending on what you do. You may have a modest but good income, or you may become very, very wealthy. I mean, if you're a teacher and you apply yourself to your field, you know, you, you plow your field, you're going to have a wonderful career and a meaningful career. You probably won't get super rich. I see Mary Beth over here laughing. That's, that's true, right? <laughs> If you're a teacher, you're not going to get fabulously wealthy. Um, if you are in finance and you're really good at it and you focus on that, you may get very wealthy. Or if you start a business, that may build up and you become very wealthy. So there's a spectrum here, but God provides for us. But for all of us, and especially those who grow wealthy, Proverbs has, a, has an important message, and it is... We must remember justice and generosity. 
Now, when I talk about justice here, I'm not talking about the subject that's so often discussed, social justice, which is a huge topic and an important topic. But when we talk about that in terms of economics, you've got libertarians on this side, you've got socialists on this side, and you've got all kinds of views in between. I'm not an expert on any of them. And even if I were, this isn't the place to start to start airing out theories about how best to run a modern economy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about we as individuals, given, given where we stand right now, if we, are, if we are blessed of God, we have an obligation to be just and fair with other people. Let me read to you from Proverbs 13, 23. This is an interesting verse. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Now, scholars debate on exactly how to translate this verse, and there's, it's not perfectly clear, the reference, but it seems to me the idea here is this. Every seven years, a field was meant to lie fallow, but many times... The Israelites didn't observe that. They would go ahead and plant the field in that sabbatical year. That was, a, that was a difficult thing to have happen for the poor because the poor would go to these fields that were not being cultivated on, in the sabbatical year, and they would be able to gather food from it. It hadn't been plowed, but there was still some food there, and they would be able to have their needs met by going into the field. So if somebody said, you know what, I can't just let that field be untouched. I, I, I can't just let the poor go to that. I need to plow that field. I need that income. Then it ends up hurting the poor. That was one of the ways Israel took care of the poor. It's very close to or similar to when they'd plow their field, or rather when they'd harvest their field, they were not to be too careful about gathering up all the grain. In other words, if you're, if you're harvesting that field and some of the, the grain falls to the ground, you're supposed to leave it there so that the poor can come up behind the workers and gather it up for themselves. Now, if you're going to go and you're going to pick up every last piece of, of grain, then you are oppressing the poor. The idea here is that you must not drive things so hard that you end up hurting people. Let me read to you another verse, Proverbs eleven twenty six. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. The picture here is of, of hard times, maybe even famine. Someone has grain and people really need it, you know what? I think I'll just hold it back. Let the price rise. And then when it's high enough, then I'll sell it and I'll make a huge profit. They're gouging just like people gouge after, after a hurricane comes through and they go and they do work at ridiculous costs and prices and all the rest. So what you have going on in both of these cases, both of these verses, is this mentality that says, I need to maximize profits. Never mind it's on the back of human beings. I want to maximize profits. Now, profit incentive is not a bad thing. But listen, as believers, as Christians, we must not forget justice 
And in the biblical understanding of justice, it's not all about rules. It entails kindness. Justice is fairness, but also kindness. And so to be just means to be mindful of people. So you don't just decide, well, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to just pay the absolute minimum, demand the maximum, and never mind the quality of life of the people who work for me. This is, I'm talking about those who are in positions of responsibility. We have to take that very, very seriously. I remember when my daughter was looking for a job after college and I was trying to help her, you know, find some contacts somewhere. I was doing an interim pastorate and I talked with someone about that. And in the course of the conversation, I discovered that this person who I thought, you know, had connections, maybe they could help and they were very kind, but I discovered that their philosophy was that an employer should should pay the absolute minimum that a person is allowed, uh, willing to accept. This was part of their libertarian philosophy. Now, I'm not preaching against or for libertarianism. I'm just saying this was their philosophy, the absolute minimum. Whatever that is, that's what you should pay. And I thought, wow, that's hard. That's hard. There is, a, there is an uh, open-heartedness an open-heartedness that needs to be present on the part of God's people. So I know there are difficult decisions. Anytime a business has to lay off people or things like that, there's difficult decisions that have to be made. There are economic realities that have to be faced. But there is a justice and a kindness that should be kept in mind with anyone who God has blessed with wealth. Does that make sense? (laughs) Boy, that was an enthusiastic amen. Thank you so much. I realize I'm not talking to everybody here. I'm, you know, most people here are not business owners or in a position where this becomes a direct issue, but it's something I've never heard even said in church before. And it seems to me it needs to be said that, that, you know, we live in an economy, a modern economy. There's a, there, there are all sorts of things that go into that, including profit motive, and that's not wrong. But we still serve God, and people still matter. Now, what happens is in Proverbs, this idea of justice and fairness actually evolves almost well, quietly, really, into generosity. And Proverbs talks about generosity, and that's true for all of us. Whether we have, we have power over people economically or not, to be generous with people. Listen to what it says in Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's a theme that comes again and again in Proverbs. And the idea is that we enter into this kind of cycle, you know, where where God has blessed us and we are grateful for that. And out of our gratitude, we are generous with others. And we, by being generous, we find God's generosity is poured out on us as well. And so we give knowing that God will bless. Now, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a, a, an investment prospectus. When God says that if you give, you're generous, you will prosper, 
It doesn't mean that it's this kind of quid pro quo. We all understand that. The reason we're so often encouraged along these lines, I think, is because there's so much fear about giving. We're so afraid to give because we're afraid we'll go without. And the promise of Scripture is you can't outgive God. You give and God will give to you. You don't have to be afraid. You can relax. You can let go. You can share with others and you can bless them. That's why we have these promises. And so as we work our land and God blesses us, and the people in this room are a blessed people, out of that abundance, we are then able to be generous and to give to others, and we enter into great blessing because of it. Now, this is all very practical stuff if you really think about it, because these are principles laid out in God's word, whereby wealth can be a blessing to us and not a curse. It begins by us not being too eager for it, being willing to just let the chips fall where they may. As we do what God has called us to do, we trust that God will provide. And as God provides, we are fair with others, but we're also generous with others. And by not letting money become a God then we don't damage our families and we don't harm ourselves, but we're able to walk in the blessing of God. All of this is true. All of this is very important. But I have to say, if I ended it here, I'd, I'd have this, this uncomfortable feeling that this is a sermon that ultimately is, is trivial because stuff and wealth and money ultimately is not that important. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul talks about generosity, and he encourages the Corinthians to be generous. But it's interesting to me, in the midst of that, he turns the conversation at one point to God's generosity to us, and he raises the issue from, from just dealing with material things to salvation. I want to read to you what he says there, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That... There's more to this than just pragmatic living with wealth. It's, it's more deeply about understanding the generosity of God and how, how God possesses all things. God needs nothing, and yet God turns to us in mercy and grace. Jesus, who was wealthy, leaves it all behind to enter into the lowly human estate that he could save us. That's the spirit behind everything God has done in regard to us. And ultimately, that's what we're called to, salvation in Jesus Christ and that kind of life where it's not what we have, it's how we love and how we serve. 
we have been saved and we become instruments in the hands of God to bring salvation to others. And that's where I want to end this morning. I want us to focus there and I want us to pray. I want us to have a few moments to reflect and to pray right now about our own lives and some of these very practical affairs. But the most important area is do you know God? Has Jesus Christ entered your life as Lord and Savior? He gave up everything so that you could be enriched in what really constitutes wealth, and that is eternal life. And my prayer is that you'd receive that this morning, that you wouldn't put it off, but that you'd receive it, that you would, you would open your life wide to God and let him fill you. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for how he has offered up himself and laid aside the glory he had with you from all eternity that he might die a shameful death so that we might be saved. That is true wealth. And Lord, may you touch each person here this morning who doesn't know you. May they, may they turn to you now. Even as I pray now, you can pray. If you want to receive Christ, you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I've been living my own way and I've, I've run my life into the pit. Would you forgive me and would you be my Lord and Savior? And if you pray like that, Christ will fill you with new life. And Lord, as each one of us waits before you, would you open our hearts to your truth? Where are we in bondage? Where have we just so focused on things that we've missed you? Lord, where have we been chasing fantasies instead of fulfilling our responsibilities? Please teach us that. Please guide us in that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.